You're listening to Schooled with Carla Hulse. Join Carla as she explores K-12 education disruption and has deep dive conversations with ed leaders, ed tech, ed foundations, ed professional service organizations, and ed educators who school her on ed innovations and their impact on educational policy across the country. Here's Carla. Welcome to Episode 3 of Schooled. Today's topic is the chasm between research and practice. Yeah, I know, not the sexiest topic, but in fact, this one is rather personal for me. So I'm going to start today with a bit of a backstory that I think will help tee up today's episode. All right, so imagine it's the early 1990s, and I am personally struggling to find an educational setting that will challenge, inspire, and reward my son's academic achievements, a setting where he can learn how best he learns with his disorder and learn how to advocate for his educational needs. So I enroll my son into our neighborhood school for kindergarten. By the end of kindergarten, his teacher pulls me aside and says, you need to take him out of this school. He needs more challenge than we can give him here. Well, you know, I ignore her and we keep him in the school for first grade. But as first grade progresses, my son's days consist of him having one-on-one lessons in Japanese from his music teacher. Hmm, Okay, sitting in the eighth grade class okay, odd, and co-teaching in his own first grade class, helping his teacher facilitate the learning of his classmates. So needless to say, when I figured out that my little one was kind of being exposed to this hodgepodge of um, primary education, really none of which was benefiting him academically, socially, emotionally, I had a choice to make. I had to make a decision. Okay, quick programming note, choice is a topic I'll be covering in an upcoming episode of Schooled. All right, so back to my story. So I choose to enroll my son in an all-boys Catholic prep school. Nothing could go wrong there, right? So I figured this setting would challenge, inspire, and allow him to sharpen his self-efficacy skills. But we quickly ran into what I now call the design flaw of education. And if you listened to episode one of Schooled, you heard me and my guest Mewtwo talking about the design flaw in K-12 education. All right, quick, back to my story. So we run into this design flaw, and the way that I can characterize it is is this in its simplest way. So imagine the Grand Canyon, and on one side of the Grand Canyon, we have school practitioners, right? And for my son, that meant my son was being threatened with expulsion by the head of schools at this private school. Me receiving almost daily calls, letting me know that my son was out of control and I needed to get to the school to do something about him. Or my son being excluded altogether from his class and sitting for hours with a nun in some office far away from his peer. On the other side of the Grand Canyon sat a team of medical physicians, clinicians, researchers, and advocates who had deep expertise in my son's disorder and and with other disabilities. Um, This medical team, these clinicians, researchers, and advocates um, knew how my son's cognition would be impacted by his disorder. They knew how and or if he would have fine gross motor skills impacted. They knew how he would behave as a result of his disorder and what his maturation might look like. So we spent a lot of time participating in medical treatments, family therapy, learning and implementing behavioral strategies given to us by 
this team on the other side of the Grand Canyon. And all this knowledge I was gaining from the medical folks, the clinicians, the advocates, forced me into becoming the translator between these two sides of the Grand Canyon. And let me tell you, in the beginning, that translation did not work. Imagine having to scale down the wall of the Grand Canyon, lumber across the, the canyon floor and all kinds of heat and exhaustion, and then climb up the other side of the Grand Canyon every day, every week, every month, and every year. But I had to do it because the practitioners on that other side of the canyon were not the benefactors of the innovations happening on the medical and the clinical side, all the breakthroughs that were happening around my son's particular disorder. Those school practitioners were left in the dark. They were left behind. So I kept trying to figure out, how do I pull those two sides of the Grand Canyon closer together so practitioners and the medical, the clinicians, the researchers and advocates could engage, interact, and learn with and from one another during pre-service and continue that model of engaging, interacting, learning from one another during in-service. What teachers and leaders were learning back then and still learning in colleges of education is sometimes outdated. It's never changing. And they bring those often static practices and implement them during in-service. And that then requires school practitioners to receive this constant barrage of professional development. And that PD is offered by interpreters of the so-called latest and greatest research best practices. Okay, so that was my Cliff Notes version of my initial steps towards the K-12 design flaw theory. But before I bring in my guests, let me give you a quick and dirty history of ed research, which I think will also help with today's conversation. So there are four basic periods of educational research. The first, which begins 1855 and roughly goes to 1895, it's really just the emergence of education as a field of study, period. The second period, which is pretty interesting and one we're going to come back to when I bring my guest in, is this period where there's an introduction of scientific investigation and controlled experiments. So we're talking 1895 to 1938. This period is highlighted by the founding of John Dewey's lab school at the University of Chicago and really the rise of education as a field of graduate study. The third period is this assumption of pragmatic orientations. We're talking 1938 to 1954. And during this period, if you know your history of the, of the country, there's a decline of research in education. And it's really because of the economic depression that our country is steeped in. The fourth period is the emergence of our major role of the federal government. And most notably during this period in 1954, Congress enacts the Cooperative Research Act. And that act really is a response to um, the race to space. So we have the USSR, the Soviet Union, and the United States who are adversaries and we're trying to get to space before the Russians do. And that race to get to space forces the Americans to realize that we need mathematicians, we need engineers, we need physicists. And that also meant we needed students who were capable of basically doing this new math and this new science thinking. Also during this period, as we move closer to the 60s, 1965, Congress amends the Cooperative Research Act. 
And this is really critical. And this is really the period we're in now. So this new amendment adds the idea that organizations can create networks of research and development centers. So R&D centers are now the new model of educational research. So the feds are no longer the ones who are creating and funding the research. They are um, outsourcing the research, funding it still, but outsourcing that research to these R&D centers around the country. So there's this rapid growth and proliferation of now R&D programs happening across the country. My guest today is going to try to help answer the question, why is education research disconnected from practice? Carol McElvain is a senior researcher at NORC based at the University of Chicago. And for those of you unfamiliar with NORC, since its founding in 1941, NORC has become a leading innovator in research methodology and the adoption of new technologies that have really shaped the field of modern research. And they've really set the standard for rigorous, culturally sensitive, transparent, and unbiased inquiry. So to be completely transparent, Carol and I actually go back, what, a decade, Carol? At least a decade. At least a decade. So we were colleagues at the American Institutes for Research. But Carol, I remember meeting you when I was a principal coach for the Chicago High School Redesign Initiative, and I was sitting, was it South Shore High School? Uh, I think it could have been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was one of the schools inside of South Shore because they had four high schools. But yeah, I was four like, schools, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, God, who is this woman? She seems really interesting. Ooh, what is she doing? Oh my God, this is so exciting, you know. <laughs> so, so we have a we have a history, um, but. As you heard in my kind of intro talking about kind of the history of ed research, um, I think it's just so funny, well, funny. I think it's a coincidence, I don't know, that you're sitting at the University of Chicago, which was right. really kind of um, on the cutting edge, right? Back in the late 1890s when John Dewey was like, no, we're gonna have these lab schools because research and practice are, are one and the same. And it's so interesting that, um, that again, it's two almost 200 years ago, right? That this man is saying that. And we can right. get into the whole idea of the University of Chicago and, and that school being a lab school. We'll get there. Yeah, let's not do that. That's a whole <laughs> history of education yeah. I'm interested in, but we don't have time to delve into. <laughs> right, right, right. But kind of talk to me about um, your own personal journey, because I know this idea of ed research and practice are near and dear to your heart. So where did it all kind of begin for you? Well, I mean, really, where it really begins is that I am the first girl in, uh, in my both sides of, or, or actually one side of my family and the second on the other side uh, to go to college and, and not only college, but grad school. So, um, so to me, and coming from sort of a more traditional history of women being at home and, and, and then if things go wrong, man, things yeah, go you're wrong. out of luck. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, so the, the idea of education as a pathway, um, out of potential, you know, poverty or mm-hmm. just, um, to, more be uh, the direct actor of your own life was something that was, you know, I felt very deeply from very early on. So um, I actually um, have a law degree. I was very, you know, I was like, oh, do I PhD or or JD? And honestly, coming out of school with a ton of debt, um, you know, it was 
well, I got to do something where I can pay the bills. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, so, but one of the projects I, I worked on and, and felt very closely to when I was at, um, I spent my third year at Northwestern Law School and uh, uh, was essentially we sued Chicago Public Schools to provide special education services for children at La Robita Children's Hospital. That was my the project that I worked on. And I just, I love the interplay of policy and I was a, a political science major in undergrad mm -hmm. and worked in, you know, did some government related work in the state of Wisconsin um, with the governor's office. And I was just, you know, really interested in, you know, that you could use the legal system to help provide education services for kids and kids yeah. who otherwise had no voice. Correct. Um, and, uh, and, and I really would have liked to have pursued that as a field of, you know, endeavor, but I also had uh, small children mm -hmm. <laughs> and again, bills to pay. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, so I practiced law for a long time and was a trial attorney. And, um, and then I was able to get to a point where I was doing advocacy work for the insurance industry. And I hated, hated it so much with the force of 10,000 sons. And, you know, and, but I, and like, okay, then if you hate this one, like, what do you care about? Like, what could you go to the mat for? And, and when I had that discussion with myself, it was uh, public education that, that far and away. Plus my, you know, my children were small and they were in school um, or starting to, you know, we were starting to enter wade into the waters and and having been a trial attorney it's like i had to talk my way into my first education job at the north central regional education laboratory Incredible. because I, I was the first person there who did not have an education background to join but my spiel and it, to this day and it it impacts our conversation i think a little bit is well, what is being a trial lawyer i mean it's it's really trying to advance a position you know like take a story Mm -hmm. And then turn it into something that 12 people who know nothing about it understand and believe you, yeah. <laughs> you know, so as to say yes or no, or whichever, you know, whatever you're doing. Yeah. So, so that was really in, in learning more about education policy and being involved in the comprehensive school reform initiative um, really got me thinking that, well, it's really like a trial in a way. I mean, it's it's really taking complex research, taking complex research mm -hmm. and turning it into uh, tools and action and steps and training and a, a whole complement of, uh, of things that people who are doing the work can then incorporate into their daily practice, that it changes the way they do their work yeah. and hopefully for the better based on the research. Yeah, it's that's. It's interesting. I, I I never kind of put the legal field and um, ed research together, but the way you laid it out, it makes sense to me. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of convincing, conjoling, advocating, right? I mean, I think that's what right. you do as a lawyer. You're really trying to hammer home your right. point, how important this is. And that's really what we're doing on the ed practitioner side, definitely at the ed policy um, side. So that, right. that's so interesting that you you married those two. So <laughs> talk about um, the uh, the idea of putting together all of this research, right? 
Um, mm-hmm. And putting it in a way, right, you have to, and I think this is the rub, right? So the, the, the focus of this podcast today is the chasm, right? Why is research right. so far on one side and then the practitioners on the other and ne'er the two may meet, right? They talk mm-hmm. about each other all the time, right? If you're sitting in a school, it's all, oh, yes, we're implementing you know, research-based practices. Research-based strategies. Right, right. But when you go in to find evidence of it happening, you're like, um, no, what research? And then, um, you know, the researchers are like just churning out study after study. I mean, I literally got something this morning, Carol, yet another study on the importance of early childhood education. I'm like, we know this already. No, important. <laughs> Why yet another study, right? So it's like this, right. it's this constant churn of like, we know already. My question is, I'm kind of, I'm going back to the Dewey idea. If we're creating research that really isn't being applied, is it because, and I think this is, um, because the research is so dearth and it doesn't actually provide the how? Right. That's, that's my, I mean, <laughs> you know, you know, my working with researchers and, you know, some of whom I call my closest friends, yes, <laughs> some yes. of my closest friends are researchers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my title is this. <laughs> exactly. You're a senior researcher. I'm a senior researcher. Uh, and, and I do like perform that role in a, in a, in a way, but, but, um, you know, to me, it's really like, because they're trying to be very intentional and scientific on a process that, you know, involves humans and uh, involves little humans, you know, that like if we're, we're doing, you know, education on preschool or why preschool yes. is important, yeah. you know, how do you measure that? You know, what is the way, um, you know, I, I think trying to put those kinds of parameters to make it valid and um, efficacious, you know, that is, you know, really making it so sciencey makes it really hard to use mm-hmm. in practice. Because I guarantee you, like you read that report yeah. this morning, any number of reports, I always look for, okay, what's the so what about exactly. this? Like, what, 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 what are you really, even in the executive summary, you cannot yes. figure it out most yeah. of the time, yeah. what they're actually saying either worked or didn't work or, mm-hmm. and then you should do this. This is what, yes. What, yes. what needs to happen next. It's, it's the so what part of things that I think creates the chasm. First of all, that the research isn't being explicit about what the so what is. So your next step should be X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Because, you know, I I would think that people who are actually um, quantitative researchers particularly would say, well, that's not my role. That's not my job. My job is to just give you this and then the client makes sense of it. Mm -hmm. But the client... It, it really, and across the board, you think about all the different levels of clients that we have. We have, you know, the federal IES. We mm-hmm. have, uh, um, we foundations. foundations yes. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, it, it, it was state departments of education. Yeah. yeah. State education agencies. And everybody sort of also, even if they're in non-political positions, are, are looking for, the problem is they're looking for quick fixes where there mm-hmm. are none anywhere. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. That's that, that's it. And 
Um, getting to your point that the researchers really say it's not my job, right? So not only do we have folks who are continuously churning out research, and we can talk about how that research is tied to kind of policy changes or uh, political party shifts, right? It's not really kind of, not that research could just be kind of homegrown and I don't know, bottom up, but it's not. It's really like, well, now who's next in charge? Now we're going right. to study this because that's, it's so-and-so's administration and they're really right. into X, right? And right. then I think, because, you know, I spent more time as a practitioner, it really becomes just like bury our heads and please let this just go away. Right. Like we're exactly. not going to do it anyway because it's just too much. We weren't doing the last thing you told us to do. Right. Or the 15 things you told us to do before. God, now yet another thing that is so important is going to change the way that we do teaching and learning. So um, so that's one part of it. And then I think this is key. And I, and I rarely, I don't think I've ever heard this, um, even when I worked at um, AIR and, you know, consulted for the feds. There's never this understanding of not just the implementation implications of um, what do I do kind of day to day? It's the actual system and structure that I need right. to build in a school or district. And it needs to have a cost modeling to it. So right. this idea right. that, right, if I am a Chicago public schools, what does that look like in terms of teacher capacity, leadership capacity, um, ancillary staff? How am I going to fund it after five? Like, cost modeling, what does it actually look like? And then if I'm in, you know, where I am, Shingle Springs, California, mm -hmm. which is rural, right? Mm -hmm. You know, what does that same thing look like? Not in Chicago, right. but in rural America or on a reservation or in a right. charter school. And there's never this kind of specificity on the totality of K-12 education. So then you're, so not only are you left with Oh God, I have to figure it out. Now I have to figure it out in my specific context and I don't have any money, right? I'm not a Chicago I, where we get people throwing money at you. I'm literally a rural district where we don't have right. Wi-Fi, where we don't have, you know, so it's like, why are you expecting people to literally figure out how to construct a new system? And just like, what is that about? Yeah, I, I mean, that hits Carla right in a conversation that I was just having about the idea of local control and also, you know, I, I, and how that started, like, you know, yeah, cause it's every, there is context, there's local context. If you can't do Chicago on an on an, a Native American re reservation, it just doesn't work, you know? Like, so, um, so, so those are the things, those are part of the things like, oh yeah, that you, you need that. But it also creates, I mean, by not having that, um, those are, even though those are two very different systems, they're also systems that aren't a Lake Forest Chicago. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like, Metro or Beverly that, Hills. That creates this, this, you know, sort of endemic or systemic, uh, uh, you, inequity that yes. that you'll never get over. I, I don't know how you get over. Um, and But we keep trying to get over with tiny bits and pieces of things. But so that I'm so glad you brought that up because that that is the rub, right? So mm -hmm. if we have a, you know, federal government and state departments of ed who um, farm out research, really, that's what yeah. they do, right? right. Um, but then they are um, blissfully ignorant 
to its implementation, I can't even talk today, <laughs> implementation um, at the school site, district site, and the vast right. differences, then they are the perpetuators of the inequities. And so whose job is it? And this gets back to, I know I keep bringing up Dewey, but I mean, he literally was saying in order to do that, you know, we are the, we, we have to be the educational researchers. We have to be the reformers, right? Mm -hmm. We are the both and. We can't say, um, let's do this one little thing over here and it's great for us. Um, mm -hmm. it's, we've tried it over here. Now let's keep trying it in, in, different, in different locales to see if in fact it does work. We're, we're testing a hypothesis. And that's what right. happens in the medical field. It's not, let's just roll out the Pfizer vaccine on, on just uh, single middle-aged females. And then, hey, the rest of you, maybe it'll work on you. Like, so it's like, right. why don't we <laughs> replicate best practices in our own field from the top down? Well, there, there are two things, two reactions that I have. And one is going to take us a little bit off that I'll leave that one for the second one. But, <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but um, one is, is just like, I think that's sort of what the, the idea of the regional educational laboratories is to be that, to be that sort of incubator and be that, that sort of writ large a lab school you know, that you can, you can have these projects. But again, the problem is there that, um, you know, if you ask any 10 teachers, if they've ever heard of the regional education, exactly. they, they know who theirs is and yeah, who the please. person like, yeah, no, 9.9 .9 of them yeah. will say, I don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so, the chasm so exists, a small Carol. group of people, it makes it, 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 I mean, the labs do great work. I would never say they didn't. They, they, they do. And it's important work, but how? Uh, no one knows about it. People so then that goes, my people. question then becomes, how is it great work? <laughs> yeah, right. Right? How <laughs> well, I would tell work? you, I mean, it's great work because the work that they do in the places that they're doing is often very valuable and does change practice. So for the people that it is working for, okay. <laughs> um, it, it is great work. I mean, I, I just wish it could be broader and, and it could be tied together more uh, intentionally, I guess, so that it's less, well, oh, this is, a, this is happening here and this is happening here. And this actually goes into my second point, which is not so unrelated <laughs> after all. See, there you go. <laughs> I love when that happens. Um, it's, it's, I really think there is a one of the part biggest parts of the chasm problem is the competition element of this. Oh. That there are I don't know what are there either probably 20, 30 organizations that do yep. you know, education research mm -hmm. um, and and practice or education yep. research and practice together and you know <laughs> and, and and we just are going through the regional uh, lab competition as we speak. There are multiple organizations who have spent millions of dollars <laughs> to, to put bids together because that's what it takes yeah. to do. And then someone's going to win and someone's going to lose. Yes. Why does that have to be the case? Why can't it be more of a collaborative? Or, <laughs> this has been my, my big push in other um, podcasts, why not just that be the role of the federal government writ large? So there's not this competition. Right. 
um, instead of kind of, again, outsourcing it to right. entities to do the work. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe, I, I keep going back to this idea that the partnership needs to be, and, and you can totally push back, right? Federal government, universities, lab schools, right? So we've got the actual Chicago public schools being a lab set of lab schools or rural schools in California or, you know, Lake Forest, wherever it is, right. that there's this constant churning of, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of action research is what they call it lately, but it's right. just, it's the right. application of research all the time, t- constantly testing it out. So right. not only are you benefiting the young people in the school at the time, but you're creating, because you've made that university connection, now you're creating teachers and leaders who are learning what the job actually is, right? They're not mm-hmm. off separate doing something and then getting a job and going, oh, wow, in-service was totally different than pre-service. You know, it's like, right. no, you're learning it as you're doing it. Right. So what does that resonate? Is that just like crazy talk? Or- no, no, I love that <laughs> idea, actually. <laughs> that and an individualized IEP for every child. <laughs> oh God, please. That would be <laughs> heavenly. Yeah. <laughs> That's another that- podcast for another time, but yes. Right, right. <laughs> Yes. Right. That's back to school. <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's fundamentally a design question. I think you and I have talked about this idea of the roles of like, again, I keep using Chicago because that's where you are, but there are like, right. there are city colleges that could right. create this kind of teacher cadre. There's a university of Illinois system there, you know, we could do so many different things here. So I don't know. What do you think? I think that's right. And and I think um, right now, uh, because it feels like there's just, I don't know what, like if it's just political blow, but I have no idea. I mean, I, I, I wish I knew I should look into this more, <laughs> um, but um, but I, I really think it's really hard to say, okay, we're going to create this system. It's going to be new and different, but it's really based on, on ideas that are 200 years old. <laughs> but think about Where it. that innovation appears to be happening more than anywhere, of course, is with foundations. Like foundations are willing to take a leap on things like that, uh, on, on ideas that are, are less well tested, it feels like, than the federal government. The federal, I mean, in order to get a successful IES proposal, you have to be pretty darn clear that you've already got a successful intervention. You're not just taking a flyer mm-hmm. on something, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you can take a flyer with a smaller amount of money with a, you know, with a foundation. But I don't want to, I don't want to leave the idea that, um, I mean, that's just the current s- system of what we're, we're yeah. operating under. And I don't know that that's great or not. I mean, I don't, I don't agree with it, but I, yeah. I, I, that's just how it feels like it works right now. What, back to your point, I, I would love that. I mean, but that, what does that take? That takes legislation, right? That takes- but think about it, Carol. What happened last year? We literally, right. the world got turned upside down. Right. What a time to do it. I kept I know, thinking, oh I my gosh, here is our opportunity to dismantle right. this system and right. start new. And, and then you get these messages from the top, the very top. They're like, oh, yes, here's a half a trillion dollars. Create a community school, uh, right. create an after school program, and adink these kids all summer long. I go, that's the no, same old I know. Stuff. It's a little that's sprinkle, the sprinkle of, you know, yeah. like, oh, they really yeah. need mentors. No. 
<laughs> I know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, wow, you're so innovative there. I've never heard of that before. What are you talking about? Yeah. So I just thought this, I really thought the pandemic, I was like, oh, finally, here's our opportunity. I was like, you know, you know me, Carol, I'm a little right. on the pessimistic side. So I was <laughs> like, here's an opportunity to literally just take a hammer and just destroy this thing. And slowly, again, we're not going to do it overnight, but slowly start dismantling or making different connections. I'm really or, seeing different connections. Or mantling, you know, ramping up a mantle. <laughs> <laughs> like with a lab school, you could do yes. that. You could say like, and, and, yeah. and that's, I, I think that's different than, than a charter school. What it is, is, you know, it, it, it's, it's using our, the resources that we have in a much more efficient way that, yeah, no, we should use this opportunity right now to say like, listen, there's one thing we learned last year is that, you know, first of all, we need to find 25 to 30% of our kids because we don't know where they are right now. And we don't have the systems in place to, to figure out where that is. And we need to figure out what they need. Um, you know, I know you and I have had conversations about like the role of the school and the role of, um, yes. uh, you know, like well, the school can't do everything. And that's, a, that's the thing you hear, yeah. but, um, yeah. but you know, in many, many communities, the school is the biggest resource they have. So it's not that, and the, the difference for me is that it's not the job of the teachers to be to be that the all all things to all kids and all families mm -hmm. like they should focus on their jobs but we should build in stronger supports in all of the other areas i mean again if there's one thing we learned last year it's that you know you can feel trauma at whatever level you're at and um and that trauma did not hit equally last year. Right. Um, right. That's why we can't find 25 to 30% of the yeah. kids because yeah, <laughs> we don't know the force of that trauma. Yeah. When you shared that number with me, I'm like, that is alarming. Um, so it, it's, this fall will be very, very interesting to well, see. Well, and already we're seeing, you know, preliminary research coming out that's saying like uh, kids who, who aren't going aren't going to planning to go back to school. They're mm -hmm. out now and they're not mm -hmm. going back. Yeah. And and that should be the biggest wake up call of all to to the education community is that if kids aren't seeing a value of it, yes. we got to do a better job at at helping them meet their needs. What do you see the role of ed research? Do you continue to see them move closer towards being a a reform entity, a dis, you know, a disruptor, kind of like Dewey was, or are they going to continue to be a distraction and really just kind of hold up the status quo? Well, my hope is, uh, I don't want to hold up. I I want to be a disruptor, uh, and I don't want to. Um, uh, my son and I have this constant, you know, like the the, the politics of of incrementalism, you yes. know. Um, that, 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 you know, you need to just blow it up and, uh, you, uh -huh. you know, like as we said, it's like, it's a both hand. It's, it's, <laughs> you kind of got to blow it up, but, but you got to work with what you have too, because kids got to have a place to go and do it. So, um, so if we can somehow, and whether, whether that's through like 
selected blowups. <laughs> um, Mini or, explosion. Or, yeah. Or one, I mean, again, I would have thought that the pandemic would have been that explosion. I, I had hoped that it, that it, it would be, um, that, that people would say like, wow, turns out we need <laughs> internet a lot more than we thought. <laughs> Go figure. No, it's, it's not, not, just not that. It's not that. It's not that. No, 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 no. It's not that, Carol. That's what's so sad. It was like, yeah. because don't you have 5G where you live? No. Oh, Chicago doesn't I have wish. 5G? Well, I'm sure Chicago does. Yeah, but, so, so that's it, right? So if you're in D.C. or New York or L.A., or you're thinking, why is there a big hullabaloo? Why is there, what, you don't have the internet? Like, we don't even have, I think we just got 4G where I am. Right, right. Like, hot spots don't work. So it was more of a, oh, you people way out there need what we already have. Right, right. <laughs> so it's not like we all didn't have it. It's right. like, now do we want to, again, it's the will. Do we really right. want to even the playing field? Right. And, and, and you know, the, the power for the status quo is, it's so, so, it is so strong. I mean, it's like the force only in a negative way. <laughs> <laughs> it's Darth Vader. <laughs> so how can ed researchers shine the light, be the disruptor, right? So that it's not left up to the everyday citizens who are out there marching, right? Protesting that you also have these established entities. I mean, the University of Chicago is no chicken, right? Oh, right. You know, you have right. these, these fundamental institutions saying, we're not going to do yet another study on preschool. We're going right. to talk about the, the breakdown of the system itself. And let's talk about how right. 200 years of reform didn't work. Right. We need new, like, is that, do you see that happening? I see some of that happening, but not enough. I, I, I would just encourage people. And, and I think we have different kinds of platforms to do that now. I mean, we are already having to say, Oh, well, who's going, who's presenting what at AARA and who's doing this, you know, like, like at these education research um, you know, venues, but that's just us talking to each other. Yeah. That's not talking to policymakers. Um, that's not talking. And again, if there is a place where that is possible in the current existence, it's in, in the labs because they are working the, and the, and the, um, com comprehensive, um, the centers, yeah. comprehensive centers that, that they, those are places where, Across the country, there there's some infrastructure in place to be able to have a conversation about what's working and what's not working and what needs to be blown up or not. Yeah. And um and and those are the places where where it's not just researchers talking to each other or practitioners talking to each mm -hmm. other or you know superintendents talking to superintendents or mm -hmm. or whatever. Uh, it, it's parent, or, parent groups. Yeah, they're right, all there. Right. Yeah, they're all there. It's um you know it it's when people can cut across what the, what those conversations are and, and, and being more, I, you know, I think we just have to be louder and, um, and, and put forth things like this to, to say, like, Hey, here's an idea. <laughs> let's, let's, let's try this. Um, so, uh, hopefully those, uh, those, those lab schools will exist again. If we, <laughs> if, we if we've solved one of the world's problems today, one of the education problems. Of <laughs> yes. So with that, 
final word from you, Carol. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure and it's always really great to reconnect with you. <laughs> it's, been, it's been too long. So yeah. that's all for our episode today of Schooled. Um, make sure that you join me again next week with a new guest and a new ed disruptor. I'd also like to thank John Largent and his team at Game Day Media for making this podcast possible. Thank you for listening. Schooled with Carla Hulse is available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Music. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.